You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 232, Kevin White and Audacious Generosity. It's way more important than you think. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I, of course, am your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am always grateful that you found the show, that you downloaded it, and that you're taking a little bit of your time to listen to the story that we are sharing here, because I deeply believe that uh, the stories that we share are part of God's story, what he wants to accomplish in the world. And I hope I hope and I believe that it encourages you on your journey to uh, be more like him and find yourself in Christ as well. As always, you can find uh, links to everything that we talk about here, including our guest and any books that we mention and all of that kind of thing. You don't have to remember it. Just go out to halfwaythepodcast.com. You can get everything that you need. Uh, you can also sign up for our mailing list if you want to do that, and I'll let you know when episodes come out. And you can always hit that Patreon button if you want to support the show, if you like it and are enjoying it. would love and appreciate your support to keep us going. All right, well, we have a great guest here today. He is uh, he's a pastor. He's the author of a new book called Audacious Generosity, and it is good. And he's a, He's got a, a ministry. He's going to tell us all about it. Our guest is Kevin White. Kevin, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks, Eric. Good to be on the show. I'm excited to have you on the show. And you got a really interesting story, which uh, we'll get into. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about where God has you right now and what you're up to. Well, uh, life has been a little different in 2020. Um, and that normally I'm spending four to five months a year over in India. And I came back from India January the 7th. Little did I know at that moment that that would be the last time I would go to India in 2020. Um, And so we had a scheduled uh, trip in April and obviously that didn't happen. And then we thought about the summer and that didn't happen. And by the summer, we pretty much knew is not going to happen in 2020. And so it's looked very different Um, on the sort of positive side. uh, Our very first granddaughter was born January the 25th. And that has been the greatest stress reliever of 2020, (laughs) just watching her uh, grow. Uh, she's over 10 months old now. And so that's been a great joy. And um, I have a book as a result of 2020 that launched uh, November the 17th on Amazon. So uh, two major births in my life in the midst of a pandemic. So I really have nothing to complain about. And I have actually survived COVID, our whole family oh, yeah. COVID and recovered. Um, fortunately it was mild. Uh, I'm, I'm heartbroken for everyone that's really suffering as a result of COVID. Um, but I'm glad that the immediate threat is over, uh, for our family at least because we have, uh, faced COVID and survived. Oh, very good. Yeah. I think you're actually the first guest I've had on the show that's actually had it, uh, before we've, we've been on the show. So that's great. Um, yeah. I guess, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, so that's good. Yeah. Was it, was it, uh, was it scary? Was it like, what, how did you feel about it? Um, no, it really wasn't that scary because it happened in such domino effect. Our, our daughter had been exposed to it, uh, in her Bible study group. Um, and all of a sudden 
two of the members had COVID, three of the members, five of the members, and she was one of the five. Uh, but by that point, even knowing about it, she had developed a sore throat and uh, then uh, a fever. Um, and so at that point, because of, of her being the mom of our granddaughter, Charlie Kate, um, I have been uh, taking Charlie Kate out of her car um, and I, I, I got exposed to COVID that way. And then by the time I really had any symptoms, I'd already uh, exposed it to my wife and to our other adult daughter and even to a coworker. And so we ended up over about three weeks, all of us testing positive for COVID. Fortunately, the symptoms were very mild. Um, it, it, it was very mild for me, but for the females in the family, they had a couple more extra days of fever. Mm. Um, I, I never had a detectable fever, um, but uh, did feel flush and just um, uh, a little bit achy, but I kept going. I didn't really have any, I, I wasn't bedridden. A couple of them actually spent maybe 24 hours in bed, just feeling like they had the flu. Yeah. So, wow. Glad nobody had to go to the hospital or anything like you see on the media. Yeah. No kidding. That's, that's the scary part when you get into that. Wow. Well, good. I'm glad that, uh, that you survived the pandemic. Congratulations. That's a, that's a big deal. Well, you've got an interesting story. I want to go through that. Um, let's go back. Like where, I know you're, you're in North Carolina now. Where are you from? Mm -hmm. Are you from there originally? I am. I was born and raised in rural North Carolina in the mountains, foothills area, uh, for, uh, I'm sorry, raised to a broken and poor dysfunctional family. My parents divorced whenever I was 12. Fortunately, um, I was raised in the church and I did give my life to Christ, understood the gospel and the need for salvation when I was 10 and had been baptized. But it was um, just good old um, Southern Christianity of, you know, basically what I what I term as fire insurance and not really a discipleship of a living relationship with God. And so at age 10, I took my fire insurance. I definitely respected Jesus as Savior, but I really had no clue about the whole Lordship part until I was 17 and found myself really yearning for more. And I, I just prayed a simple prayer, God, if there's more to you than I realize, I want to know it. And it's like, I didn't even know the presence of the Holy Spirit at that, at that point. But looking back, God really uh, poured out the Holy Spirit on me, and He just gave me such a thirst for the Word as a 17-year-old, and I sat on my bed just reading the Bible for hours, and until that moment in my life, reading was a chore. I didn't like to read. I was not a good student in school. I've been begging my mom to let me drop out of school, and in that one year, I went from wanting to drop out of school to wanting to go to college to prepare for um, uh, ministry. God had called me into the ministry, and um, you know, now I've been in uh, following Christ for uh, 40 years. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, okay. So I want to hear more about that. Like at home, you know, you're, what, what was that like? You know, you call it kind of Southern Christianity, you know, was it as a kid, obviously there's a lot of reasons that you, that you make that decision. Right. Yeah. But what, what was that kind of, do you remember that moment? Can you describe it for us and what, uh, you know, kind of how that, how that went for you? Uh, the moment of me finding Christ or yeah. just my experience? Well, the first finding Christ. And then, okay. um, yeah, and then I, I have a few other questions. Okay. So I'm sure we've all heard the term CNE Christians, Christmas and Easter Christians, mm -hmm. uh, people who go to church just around Christmas and just around Easter. Well, we actually were more than that. We went to church on a regular basis every, every week. And 
unfortunately, the love of Christ never um, found its way into our home. Uh, I remember a very turbulent childhood. My parents had a rocky marriage and relationship my, my entire childhood. And I remember actually at age 12, being relieved when they divorced. It was that bad. Wow. I was just so glad to know that the fighting and the feuding and every holiday being erupted by their drama and every family vacation uh, or sense thereof being interrupted with their drama would now, for the most part, be over. Um, it did rip my family of six and, and two halves. My mom took my younger brother and sister and moved 30 minutes away um, with them. And then I stayed with my father and my older brother. Um, and so three went one way and three stayed. And, and that was, that was quite traumatic, um, in that my brother was 16 and he had a car and was gone all the time. My dad was gone all the time. So I really lived alone from age 12 to age 14. Uh, my middle school years, I, I was in rural North Carolina, most of the time by myself, my dad would drop me off at school in the morning and I would ride the bus home and I would, uh, I figured out how to cook and clean and, uh, put myself to bed. And the next morning my dad would be back and would be there and would drop me off at school and it would start over again. And so, uh, I did end up, my, my mom remarried and her household sort of stabilized. And two years after the divorce, I, I did ask to move in with them and their, their, home space enlarged to a place that I could move in with them. And, um, and so that, that was a very positive thing to be able to, to then have a stepfather and uh, more of a peaceful home after yeah. all of those years. Yeah. Wow. How did that affect you spiritually? I mean, maybe, maybe as a kid, you know, I know how it is. you you were maybe not, like, were you aware of God or were you like, yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, I, I really remember the salvation message and the whole part of Jesus dying for our sins. Uh, but that was basically it. And so I, I really looked back and I was very confused because I literally thought the burden on us was to escape the fires of hell. And Jesus offered that salvation from hell, um, as we would ask him to forgive us of our sins. And, um, and so he would, he would keep us from burning in hell, uh, for all eternity. And, um, and, and I really, for the longest time felt that that was what being a Christian meant. And that was all it, it really was. And I really didn't have any type of discipleship of how he is an ever-present help in time of need. And yet I remember being very lonely in high school and uh, really struggling, uh, not with uh, detectable um, depression or anxiety, but just with a sense of feeling lost, not really having a purpose, life not really having meaning. There was no vision beyond the current day. And I really longed for more and ended up going to a gospel meeting whenever I was 17. So when the divorce happened, my, my parents uh, divorced and I, I for, for the most part, we, we ended up um, just um, not really prioritizing church for a, for a while. And, um, and, and once I was old enough to work, I didn't see the, the, need to go to church. So I just started working on Sundays and, and ended up 
for several years just not really having much of a um, time in church at all. But I went to a yeah. gospel meeting well, when I was 17. How Why did you go to the gospel meeting? A friend from high school. I had gone on a mission trip and, and had said, um, we, we are going to give a report about our trip, and I really want you to be there. And so I went, and I saw a group of people my age really passionate for God, and that was radical to me because I didn't, I didn't really understand why anyone would need God other than get your fire insurance and then you're, you're going to be good. Um, but I, that was when I really was beginning to be exposed to the Lordship of Christ um, and that God was not just something to save us from hell, but he really had died for us, not just to save us from something and to, you know, to give us a mission, to give us a purpose. And so I, I just remember uh, you know, there was an altar call at this meeting, and I had, in my perspective, I was a Christian, um, and I had been baptized. I had prayed the sinner's prayer, so I just went. I remember going to the altar, and I just prayed, God, if there's more to you than I realize, I want to know it. Wow! And things just began to change um, radically from the inside out. And then, as I sat on my bed um, and just read the Bible for hours, um, it. God literally just transformed my life. What do you remember anything as you were reading that stood out to you that was really significant? So the gospels were very impactful. The miracles of Jesus, just his, um, the, the description of, of him being so practical in people's lives, because again, my exposure was um, he is, king of glory and in out in the universe and and when you know when you face eternity you're going to need him to give you the fire insurance so you don't burn in hell but i really didn't have any discipleship of him being practical beyond that and as a 17 year old i knew the desire and the need for peace um and you know google wasn't even existing then now i, I heard the other day that the number one Googled um, thing on Bible apps is peace. The number one word people are searching for is peace. Wow. Um, I was doing that at age 17, really longing for peace, longing for love. Um, and as I read the Bible, I experienced peace and I experienced love as I just read about the life of Christ and the miracles of the New Testament church. Um, and on and on. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's great. And I, I think that that discipleship, that whole discipleship idea that you talk about, you know, like getting, going beyond just, Hey, this is, you, you knew God is transcendent, right? You knew him as kind of out there, but you're saying now you, you, it wasn't until you were 17 that you really experienced him as imminent and kind of the gospel for today. Right. Wow. Love that. Such an important moment, right? Yeah. So it sounds like that kind of put you on a different path. And so you felt like God called you. Was there, what was calling to ministry? Like, did, did, was that, how'd you realize that? Well, God allowed me to just have multiple conversations with the pastor of that church where that gospel meeting uh, took place. And I remember um, just, I went back a couple weeks later and then I started going on a weekly basis to that church. And 
at some point, I must have asked the pastor if he would um, answer some questions that I had as I was reading the Bible. And that was the first form of discipleship in my life. Uh, he invited me to come by his office and we just sat there and talked and I would raise questions about this verse and help me to understand um, this chapter. And, and and he really just began to disciple me about the, this is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. This is the gospel and so forth. And so after a couple months, so that was in August of my senior year in high school that I prayed that prayer, went to the gospel meeting, prayed that prayer. They had been on a summer mission trip, came back, and right before school started, I'm praying that prayer. And so in the month of September and October, in those months was when I began having these uh, um, practical conversations with this pastor. And by November, I was beginning to just testify to him um, I, as I'm reading, I keep sensing God saying he's got a plan for my life. What, I don't understand what, what am I, am I going crazy? What, what's happening here? And he just began to share with me his own test testimony and how he was called into the ministry. And, and I just continued to verbalize that sense of calling that, that I was, I was beginning to sense and, and he would show me other places that God spoke to people. And that was really the first experience in my life of beginning to understand that, that God speaks even today, he is speaking to people. And so he showed me in the word, mm. how God would speak to people. He testified in his own life, how God had spoke to him. And, you know, I remember even at Christmas um, that year, there was a youth conference after Christmas before new year's and um, the evangelist that had been there for that gospel meeting was going to be at this conference. And I had asked to speak to him and the, the, we had lunch and I just said, how do you know if God's calling you into the ministry? And the pastor of this small church, his experience was more of a lightning bolt experience. So I kept looking for my lightning bolt and I never really sensed I had a lightning bolt type experience. And then the pastor that I spoke to at this conference, the evangelist, he shared more of an, a, a gradual awakening. And uh, I just remember oh, yeah. God had used all of that to prepare me. The very last message of this youth conference was uh, just an invitation. If you sense God's calling you to be a pastor or missionary, um, will you just come forward and, and just let us pray for you? And I just remember going forward and I don't remember being exposed to Isaiah 6, but I look back and for me spiritually, that was an Isaiah 6 moment. I just, I just basically said, Lord, here am I, send me. And, and just um, accepted that throughout these months, God had really brought me to a place of conviction and confidence that he was calling me into vocational ministry. And I now look back and see how obvious it was then. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, now, but then it wasn't so obvious. But it, I did have peace after after that conference. I came back to the same high school that I've been begging my mom to let me drop out of. And for the first time ever, went into a guidance counselor's office and said, God has grabbed my life and I've committed my life to him. And I feel called to go into the ministry and I need your help getting ready for college. And that was January and I was going to graduate in June. <laughs> <laughs> and that little lady began to cry. And I not, never remember anyone ever crying for me. And it wow. really made a deep impression on me. And she said, young man, if you are, um, if you're not serious, 
don't waste my time. Get out of my office. But if you are serious, I'll do anything I can to help you. And I said, ma'am, I'm serious. And she went to bat for me. And um, so that was January. And she did put me in all these college prep courses. And I went from a C student to an A student um, and, and taking even harder courses and everything. And I took the SAT and I learned how to write a five uh, paragraph uh, theme paper and different things like that um, as quickly as possible. And um, that year, right before graduation, as always, this is a large high school in Burke County, Morganton, North Carolina, uh, Freedom High School, and they were having their annual award ceremony. And it was always scholarships for the jocks and for <laughs> the, uh, the the bookworms. Um and and I was goofing off with my ki- with my friends. It, didn't expect anything. And all of a sudden, um, from the announcement stand, they said, and this $1,500 scholarship goes to Kevin White. And my friends literally get my attention and said, they just said your name. You're supposed to go up there. Wow. So I go up there and I bring back this piece of paper um, that, that has this form on it for a scholarship. And um, I go back and I sit back down and everybody's just quiet. They're just looking at me. I'm looking at this paper. I'm looking at them. They're looking at me. We're all looking at this paper. And they said, and this $3,000 scholarship goes to Kevin White. And I go back up there. And by the end of that award ceremony, that little old lady um, had, had, without me knowing it, had put me in for these um, non-academic scholarships and she paid for my first year of college. Wow. That was a miracle because I remember my, my, my father, um, really challenging me. Um, you know, if, if you want to be a preacher, then go to a good old Baptist school where it's not going to cost so much. Why do you want to go to a school out, out of, out of state? Um, and I just said, God, I, I just said, dad, if God is calling me, he, he'll, he'll provide. Uh, I'm not, don't, don't be burdened by this, but he kept giving me a hard time and everything. Wow. And I just kept, I just kept waiting on the Lord and my parents, we had filled out the financial aid and they made too much to help me, but they didn't make enough, um, I mean, they made too much to qualify for financial aid, but they didn't make enough to help me. And um, everybody just kept saying, how are you going to pay for college? And and I'm like, I don't know. But if God wants me to go, it, he'll take care of it. And he paid for my first year. And that sort of got me there. And then once I got there, I did a bunch of work study and part-time jobs and everything. Yeah. And, um, graduated. And still to this day, first sibling in my family with a four-year degree. And my wife was the first sibling in her family with a four-year degree as well. And um, miracle just happened. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That yeah. So that woman, she must've been a believer. Mm, I don't know. We never had that kind of conversation. Wow. Um, and I think she retired like the very next year, uh, but she sure changed my life. Oh, I love that. Okay. Friends. I just gotta, I gotta highlight this for us because never underestimate the, your ability just doing what you do to change somebody's life, right? Like you, you can, I mean, that woman, we don't, I don't even know if you know her name, but she, I don't, I don't know her name, but she helped you in a way that probably you couldn't, you couldn't have expected you, you couldn't have like predicted and you maybe even would have had a hard time, you know, paying for college, but she took care of it in a, and God used her to provide something 
just as part of her job, right? Just because because she, she was impressed with you, and I think that is awesome. And friends, I think you can you can do the same thing. I mean, who can you who can you help in a way that um, you know that maybe maybe is unexpected, or maybe God's asking you to, or maybe it's just part of what you do, but might have a huge ripple effect down the line, which I guess we'll talk about as as we go here. But that's it's a it's a big deal. That's that's pretty impressive, Kevin. I I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. It's the first time I've been able to share it. So thanks for the opportunity. Oh, that's, no, it's fantastic. This is me to get to share it. Those are the and ones to, I love to hear. Cause I think yeah. in my opinion or my experience anyway, it's easy to think about, um, you know, just a, a humdrum life, like your normal life, like every day. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you can see how something that you do impacts and changes someone else's life and then maybe changes other people's lives because of that. That's when I start to get excited, all that connectivity, right? Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the way that the gospel goes. And this is the way that it's spread throughout the history of the church. So I, I love that. Um, yeah. Cool. So you went to school, you got a, you, did you say you get a Bible degree? Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. So you're studying in scripture and probably I'm guessing from what you said earlier, you probably really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a minor in youth ministry and a minor in music and a very go. positive experience. So did you become a youth pastor? I did. I did. I was already a part-time youth pastor before I graduated. And as soon as I graduated, they took me full-time. Um, and it was very, um, very um, nominal pay, but um, but it was, it was definitely um, a gift from God to be able to serve the teenagers of, of that church during that time. And we still have deep friendships with a lot of their families and uh, the students. Um, uh, and I love now how you can connect on Facebook and social media with people that you haven't even talked to in 20, 30 years. Oh, yeah. It's exciting. I love that. I know. I, I think a few years ago I messaged my uh, high school youth leader and I just let him know what I was up to. And he was so thrilled, right? Cause he mm-hmm. obviously invested a ton of time in me. And, uh, you know, I was glad yeah, to see it's that. It's shocking when a student um, from the past, you know, communicates. Um, I remember how you were there that time and and it just had a profound impact on my life. And God right. really used you to change my life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. when, when did that happen? Uh, but it's very encouraging because, you know, at times we just feel we, we, we really sell ourselves short uh, in, in general, um, you know, whenever it comes to just impact at times. Yeah. It's great when God throws you um, a a sweet spot. Yeah, I love that. That can be encouraging. Well, that's cool. Okay, so how did uh, how did your relationship and kind of your discipleship develop there between you know studying the Word, studying the Bible, and and doing your degree, and then also ministering? Because I know that that can be that can be sort of sort of tough, and it's, it's different when you are reading Scripture devotionally versus studying it. Mm-hmm. you know, for, yeah. for a paper, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, I really talk about having two halves of my life and how for 20 years I was a believer in Jesus. Um, but I really had a, a misunderstanding of, of just God's grace and, and, uh, what, what it meant to be free in Christ and to rest in, in Christ and to let God do the work through us. And then the second half of my life of really experiencing the 
courage and the freedom of God um, and the byproduct of that being audacious generosity. And so that's the book. But what you're really diving deeper into is that first half. And and I just want to connect a couple dots. So a very turbulent childhood um, really left me with, with some significant baggage. And, and I really went into Bible college then and into ministry um, really in, in a performance driven, um, mm. relationship with God. Yeah. Um, meaning that, that I really thought my mission in life was to do a great thing for God. And so no offering was enough. No attendance was enough. No event was enough. It always had to be bigger and better because I was really trying to appease God instead of realizing that the grace of God is I've never done anything to deserve his love and I'll never do anything to lose his love. And it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I really understood that for the first time in my life and ministry at that moment, uh, really through a mission trip to India, went from being a have to to a get to. And and so um, Bible college, those first years of ministry uh, were glorious but they were also very challenging because my filters of of God's purpose and his expectations were were all skewed because of my childhood. Um, Unfortunately, my dad's way of discipline was to scream, Kevin, you'll never amount to anything. Wow. And so I didn't even realize it psychologically, but here I am 25 years old out of Bible college and ministry, and I was still trying to appease my dad that I would amount to something. And so I was a very high achiever and the youth group would just burst. And then the next project the church gave me would just burst. But I was a workaholic and and I was killing myself, killing my marriage, killing our family. And it really never came to a head until I was the church planter. So I had been on staff uh, first um, ministry experience out of college was a youth pastor. And then a larger church called me and I was a family life pastor. And then I took a assignment to become a church planter and actually start a church from scratch. And it, it now I'm the leader and I'm not really following someone else's guidance. I'm having to give guidance to, to a staff. And that's when it all sort of blew up and unraveled. I literally planted a church for three years, blood, sweat, and tears, high achievement in this particular group of churches. Um, the average church size was 50. And in three years, we were over 100. And at that time, back in the 80s, that was pretty substantial. Um, but um, three years into it, the 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 government, if you will, of the church, the leadership shifted from the pastor over to a group of, of elders, and they voted to release me as their pastor. And there had been no embezzlement of funds or, or yeah. any immorality. It was just because I was a maniac for God out of control. And I was hurting and I, and I was really defensive and hurting them. And it, I, I really grieved later over the the, the unfortunate trail that I had blazed um, in that. God did work in spite of me, and he always works in spite of us, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, 
but it, it took that experience of them having to release me as pastor to really put me flat on my face in ministry to a place that I had nowhere to go other than into the presence of God and wow. um, sort of went through a Job experience and well, came I'm, out. I want to hear, Christ. yeah, I want to hear more about that. So, but a couple, I just have to observe a couple things. So first of all, you know, I, th- I think one thing that grieves me deeply is how, is like your story is not really that uncommon, right? Like there's the, the people who are achievers um, and God bless them. I absolutely get they're they're that way for a reason, but they get a lot of attention, right? And they get a lot of a lot of time because they're doing things. You're you're doing the stuff. Um and you were doing some cool things, right? But you know, the the events and and whatever and attracting people. Uh but sometimes it's not healthy, right? And we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta care about that. And you know, I'm as as hard as I bet it was for you, and I'd like to hear more about that. Um uh, those others probably not only did you a favor, but did the church a favor. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is interesting. And I think, I think that's one. So I like to put it this way. I think as a, um, as a church, we need to really value spiritual maturity and health way more than we do production. Right. Cause you can't actually produce either of those things. You have to experience them. But anyway, that's, that's my little hobby horse. Um, so, but I'm guessing. So then here's my other question for you, Kevin. What um, would you, I'm, I'm assuming, I, I think I know this was kind of your dark night of the soul experience, right? You, you said you kind of like had to come face to face and you had no place else to go except for into the presence of God. So how are you feeling and how did it, how did that take shape and what happened after you were voted out? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I was pissed off at God. Can yeah. I say that? Yeah, you I can. I was so angry. I mean, here I had answered the call into the ministry, and I was really balling my fist up in the face of God, uh, just saying, I have answered your call. I have tried to give you my life, and this is what you allow to happen to me. I really had thought that he had betrayed me and, um, and really allowed uh, the enemy to win this conflict that ended up happening uh, in that church, because um, I really didn't defend myself and go and politic to f- get people to vote that I could remain as pastor or whatever, and it, and it just happened. And I was shocked, and a lot of people were shocked. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm jobless, and I'm being asked to move out of the church on home, and oh, a lot of lot of inconvenient things began to happen. Um, and I remember a month later, uh, really being still frustrated at God. Um, and, um, God, I have gone to a prayer meeting with a group of pastors. And after that, one of the men had come out to my car, followed me out and he said, perhaps you've not been fired. Perhaps you've just been set free. And I really didn't appreciate it at that moment. <laughs> um, but he began to disciple me over the next, uh, several years, but within a, within a month had really introduced me to, uh, finding freedom in Christ by, Dr. Neil Anderson, and it really walked me through the gospel in a way that I'd never really been discipled before, and it it taught me biblical forgiveness, and uh, the more I forgave my dad and myself and even these false expectations toward God of that sense of being betrayed and everything, the freer I became, and it was uh, then a mission trip to India and a series of things where all of a sudden the mission 
um, I'm sorry, all of a sudden the, um, the ministry became a, uh, get to instead of a have to. Yeah. And, um, well, and, and really the pivotal point was coming back from that mission trip of India, having been exposed to the presence of God. And in my journal, I drew two crosses. And in the first one, I wrote things that I've been pursuing success, impact, uh, all these things, great things for the Lord. But on the other cross, I, I just wrote the presence of God. And I really crucified to the cross everything um, that I have been pursuing with my life um, that was not the presence of God. And then on the other cross, the only thing on it was the words, the presence of God. And I just committed at that day that the rest of my life, I would, I would live to pursue the presence of God. And that's when that defined my ministry was the pursuit of the presence of God that defined my walk with God to pursue his presence. Everything was, was, was really pivoted around that. And, and it radically changed my life because before then I had really been striving. Oh my goodness. You hear that, that, that passage, uh, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. I yeah. have been striving to bear so much fruit, do great things for God, more attendance, more offering, bigger event. And it was killing me, killing my marriage, killing my, even my relationship with the Lord, because instead of, instead of really, um, diving into the, the presence of God in the word and in prayer, uh, I would just be so busy. I always, my to-do list was so busy crowding out, um, time, um, to to really be in the presence of God. And now I realize my job description, what it means to really be a minister of the gospel is to be in the presence of God. And, and it, I, it just became freer and freer. And then the fruit began to happen on a level that I had longed for my whole life, but all of a sudden it was natural. And it wasn't anything to do because I had made it happen. It was just every every part of it was just more gifts from God. Um, and then I wanted more of his presence and yeah. more of his presence. And it's just been glorious. The second half of my, of my life and my, my walk with the Lord. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. So two, two other stories I, I want to hear. Um, certainly I want to hear about that. Your first trip to India, because it sounds like that was really, now, and maybe so like why did you go and then was there something that happened there that that made you like you experienced God there in some way that was you know that was life-changing and then I want to hear about because I know that after you lost your job it got kind of difficult and so you had some some things happen that kind of changed your directory or trajectories yeah yeah so um, I went to India as a result of someone in our church. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not a pastor um, of this church plan anymore. And so we just ended up fellowshipping with a very small church uh, in our area. And um, one Sunday, and it was very small, intimate fellowship, a man stood up and said, um, I've been asked by a friend to preach a pastor's conference in India, and I'm planning to go, and I'd like everybody to pray that another man would be called to go with me as a prayer partner. And I immediately sensed the Holy Spirit just um, impress upon me, you are to go. And I had just been fired, and we we were now really uh, facing a lot of financial problems as um, and challenges and everything. And um, um, my, my wife had a part-time job. We had three small kids. And so 
it, it was definitely an, an act of faith, but I, I remember just being free even then. And if you want me to go, then you provide and I'll go. And he did. And I went and, um, and it was life changing because my whole ministry, I have been trying to build the church and I, I even preached the passage Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. <laughs> yep. but it never really clicked um, how you let the Lord build the house. And when I went over to India, I saw the presence of God in a way that I had not really been exposed to even in America because I saw the absence of technology and the absence of material possessions, like even in the church, no bulletins, no budget, no musical instruments but you could sense the presence of God and the dependency on God and the fervorance in prayer that I really didn't experience in, in America. And I remember praying a prayer that God would let me bring all three of my kids to see his work in India because I had seen orphans on this trip that didn't even have a pair of sandals or a toothbrush, but because they knew the presence of God, they exhibited so much joy. And I was coming back to my PK kids that had all the happy meals of life and, and lacked that kind of joy. And I knew by just trying to verbalize this, this encounter of this trip in India, I wouldn't be able to get across to them what I had seen. And so I prayed, God, let me bring all three of my kids to see your work in India. And I went back later, um, three years later with my 11-year-old son, Zach, and three years after that with a 11 year old daughter, Courtney. And now, um, 10 years, uh, 20 years after this, all of our family, all of my kids, my wife, we've all been multiple times over to India. And so it was just, it was just really life changing to, to see that. And that's really what then brought this, um, encounter with God, even on the plane ride back. And it really rewrote my entire philosophy of ministry going to India. Um, because I was able to see the value of his presence. And so now I come back and I see in Exodus 33, where Moses said, unless you go before us, we will not go. Um, and, and now it clicked. And I started seeing scripture through a whole new filter of the whole agenda of God has been his presence. You know, you remember yeah. earlier in the conversation, I talked about just a fire insurance slip. No, yeah. that, that is a value of one of his gifts is, is, salvation from hell. But the whole point is presence. Jesus came um, because of, of our need for his for the presence of God. The, all throughout the Old Testament, you see God just really longing to give people his presence into the New Testament. God really longing to give people his presence. And, and that's what I had been missing through my whole discipleship and into uh, Bible college and um, into ministry was just the value for his presence. And I came back and that was then now all I valued. And, and as a result of that, wow. God really has given me incredible life to live. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of incredible. One of the problems, I guess, if I can use that word is that, uh, you can't teach that, right? You can't teach the presence of God. Although I think some of our theology would help if we adjust it. Like you said, like, you know, it's all over the Bible. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's mm-hmm. how he's described over and over again. That's what he wants. So yeah. let's pay attention to that. But it's, uh, 
But again, it's again, I think it's a thing that has to be experienced, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously hopeful and, and confident that my book, like audacious generosity, I really try to drive home the call to an, a living relationship with God and how audacious generosity is a byproduct. You know, so often we run away from giving because we think it's an expectation of God. Um, but yeah, it, it is not an expectation. It's an, it's an opportunity that God has given to us. Um, and, you know, this whole concept of um, God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever heard that used in uh, the yep. context of, of really guilting the people of God? Because immediately I, I have to sit there and say, well, I failed because I'm not really a cheerful giver. So, okay, right. failure in that. Uh, and 99.9% of the body of Christ has probably experienced some sense of guilt and sense of failure whenever it comes to giving. And yet, I now see the Bible with this brand new filter of God all along has been such a cheerful giver. And we will never, ever become a cheerful giver until we are willing to see how much a cheerful giver God was in the Old Testament and was through the miracles of Jesus and was through the New Testament and is today in 2020 and will be in 2021. And um, once we see that, audacious generosity becomes a byproduct. Uh, but until then, it's this pressure that we're going to run and resist, run away from and resist as, as long as we can, because we we feel like, you know, it's it's out of our wallet. But it's it's God has never been dependent on our wallet. We're <laughs> always dependent on his heaven. And it's limitless what he can do through us. Right. Once we understand that. Yeah. And if we just surrender. So you had kind of an interesting experience with surrendering and kind of letting, having God lead you to what essentially became a new ministry for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, those hard hardship years, um, by the grace of God, there was some, a little bit of turbulence as a result of being fired, but it really didn't happen until two years later. And God took me on that mission trip to India. I came back and I was uh, seeking some some wise counsel through a uh, ministry that counsels to pastors here in our local area. They ended up inviting me to go on staff. A couple of men in our church had been underwriting the bulk of our support for two years. We bought another home. We had a minivan. Life was really beginning to stabilize. And then all of a sudden, one of those men left the church and uh, we went with a with a mortgage of over a thousand dollars and a couple hundred dollar uh, car payment and of all these other bills, we went to to living in Cary, North Carolina, a very affluent area on less than $500 a month. And it was me and my wife and our three biological children and a foster son at the time. And life really became difficult, but I was free. And, and so I just continued to be in the presence of God. And I remember just filling up journals after journal of God just really speaking and guiding and giving so much peace. And I would be in the presence of God and I'd have such a sense of peace. And then I'd go out to try to fix my problems and find a job and the peace of God would just leave. And I would go back into the presence of God and I would pray and there'd be so much peace. And I'd go out to try to fix my problems and find a job and the, and the peace of God would just leave. And I'd never really experienced that before in life, but it really, it really disciplined me to, again, value the presence of God and just really let him be an ever-present help in time of need, even to a place of directing, take a right, take a left, 
uh, don't move and be very specific in his guidance like that. And I, I really frustrated a lot of people watching because it's like, why don't you go get a job? If you need income, go get a job. And I had been applying for all these jobs and nothing would open up. And um, so long story short, we come to a place where there's no more food in the refrigerator, in the cabinet. But because I've been in the presence of God, um, this passage, like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. Okay, God, I need income. God, we need to pay the mortgage. God, we need food. And, and it's like seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And because of this whole passion for the presence, what I really was longing for is for the presence of God as a minister, for the presence of God to be extended into the lives of others. And it led me to pray a prayer. So I've been studying the miracles of like the feeding of the multitude and all these, and God just really pounded in my heart, seek first the kingdom. And I, I, so I just really had the discipline. What is the first? What's the first? Well, it's his presence. Okay. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So if Jesus was in my shoes, what would he do? Well, he would, he would want to go feed people. And I started praying a prayer I'd never prayed before in my whole life. God, give us food that others might eat. And that seemed like a radical inconsideration to our family's need, but it was so honoring to the Lord. I just knew that it was the Holy Spirit birthing that prayer in me. And I just continued to pray it. And um, within, within a couple of months, we, we began very miraculously receiving food from a local grocery store that, that had been expired product that was still very edible. And it filled up our cabinets and our refrigerator. And we started bagging it up on a daily basis. And we'd pick it up from the store. We'd bag it up. We'd take it out to families that need it. We'd say, here, receive this with love from Jesus. We'd come back the next week. We'd do it again. Then the next week, do it again. And more food came and more families came. And within one year, we went from being a family that needed food to being able to help 500 families a month with the help of 25 volunteer families. And it became known as with love from Jesus ministries. And you can actually Google with love from Jesus ministries.org. It's still happening 20 years later in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, it's grown um, since then and uh, been a great blessing, millions of dollars a year, uh, 50 some churches in the city cooperate together and everything's free with love from Jesus um, and, and to high need populations in our community. And it all began because we were a family needing food and God really convicted us that we should start praying then for other people to have food and miracles began to happen that continue to this day. Yeah, that's amazing. So are you are you still there? Do you run that or how how long what what is um, that? No. No. Uh 7 years in, um I was um we we had been in this facility. It had grown out of our garage into a 5,000 square foot warehouse and then over to a 70,000 square foot warehouse. Oh my goodness. And uh it just it just grew all these stores, trucks and different things um and it had a small staff. It had a board. It was it was a five hundred one three C organization, and I had served there for seven years. And really thought I would probably retire there. It was uh, really the joy of my life because that was when I really began to experience what Rick Warren talked about in his book about riding the wave of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't understand it when I was reading that as a church planter, but I look back now and I saw that that was when when um, all of this 
fruit had become a byproduct and we weren't striving for it. It was just God really laying things in our lap um, and just putting us in the right position at the right time to really experience him working in our city. And, um, and, and I was doing experience in God's study with a small group and God just really began to impress upon me. Your time here's over. And, um, I had fought that with the church plant and this time I knew don't, don't do that because it's not going to end well. And, uh, and so I began to share with my wife and then with the leadership there that, um, that it was my time had come to an end. And within three or four months, um, had turned it over to the leadership that God had raised up. And um, so still involved, you know, as a donor and as a prayer partner, uh, but I have nothing to do with the, with the organization as far as the leadership uh, since that point. And uh, very grateful to God for all of his blessings that he's done uh, for, with love from Jesus and continues to do through them. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So since you left now, what do you, what are you doing these days and what, what has God kind of led you, led you into? And what's, yeah. what's that looking like now? Besides writing, obviously writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually went and um, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Obviously, it's hard to be a church planner and not be an entrepreneur. Uh, and I really didn't value. I didn't really understand the the marketplace value on on what God has given to what what we call ministry at times and everything. But I started a for-profit company uh, called Freedom Managers, providing by-the-hour business management services to mom and pops that do uh, HV, uh, AC work and uh, cleaning ladies and different things like that. And it really took off and grew. And um, then uh, the local church that we were serving at that time, Hope Community Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, they were going to go multi-site. And they asked me to come on site, uh, come on staff and to help them uh, launch one of their first campuses. And so I sold Freedom Managers and I went on staff at Hope and it was, I was there for three years. And that's really when this hobby of, of um, taking some teams over to, Glo uh, over to India, we had incorporated Global Hope India. We had a bank account and it was just, so people going over to India and the projects, um, you know, helping some orphan homes and different things there, churches there, we'd have a bank account. But Three years after being on staff at Hope Community, I really saw how this hobby of taking these things over blew up and God brought me to a place. Uh, I was leading a pastor's conference in India and God just really broke my heart for the pastors of India and, and made it clear that I was to focus on that full time and came back, prayed with my wife, prayed uh, with the leadership there at the church. And within six months, I'd come off staff and began raising support as a missionary. And, uh, and so I uh, have done that now for 10 years, and in the last 10 years, taken 1,000 people over to India, been to India 51 times now, uh, flown over a million miles, 27 different countries, raised over $6 million for God's work in India, and still to this day, I'm executive director of Global Hope India, and very uh, fortunate to get to do what I do. Yeah, that's amazing. 1,000 people. You've taken 1,000 people on mission trips. That's incredible. Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. What, what, what do people not know about India? What do they not know? Yeah. Um, uh, there's, it's sensory overload. Um, and, but there are people just like us. I mean, I really think most of Americans that I've encountered uh, understand at this point, they have met probably somebody from uh, India now. Uh, where 20 years ago, there was no one in North Carolina from India. Now, uh, I'm actually, as you're recording this interview, I'm in Morrisville, North Carolina, and the largest minority in Morrisville are Indian nationals. 
uh, here living in the USA. And so things have radically changed over that. And um, I, I really think people probably don't know that that is no small act of God, uh, that, um, that the globe has now become accessible and we can go over to India, mm. but God can also bring Indians here. And obviously it's for that, that high, that high mission of extending his presence into people's lives. But at this point, we probably have all smelled the curry and we've all heard the dialect and we've realized that they definitely are not from our community. Um, but uh, we haven't necessarily got to know them on a first name basis and yeah. realized that they're humans just like us. They have families just like us and they have a lot of values that we could really benefit from um, uh, and that we could we could really um, use. But, um, you know, I, I yeah. just need needing to get to know them. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. But I love your point too, that there is absolutely, we should be able to see the opportunities in the technology that we have, right? Like mm -hmm. well, one thing that I think maybe goes overlooked sometimes is we were a little critical of Rome when we read the New Testament because they just sort of took everybody over. But the other thing that they did is they built roads, right? Some of which still exist today. That's how good they were. I don't think I-80 is going to still be there in, you know, uh, 2000 years, but their roads still are. And what that did is it allowed the gospel to travel throughout the entirety of Rome in ways that it never could have in the centuries before. The same thing is happening today, right? Whether, yes. whether it, to your point, it's, we can fly across the world and be there in, you know, a few hours or half a day, uh, or, they're coming to us and they're, they're, they're living in our communities. People are living in, 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 in the world is kind of mixing up. That's a great advantage for the gospel. That is a great opportunity uh, for the gospel to be spread throughout the world as, as God intended, if I can use that phrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boy, I love I that. I agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So just watching for the opportunities, I think is super powerful. Um, I wanted to ask you though. So the one thing, Kevin, that impresses me about, about your book uh, audacious generosity and friends, you can get that any place you get great books. You can get, pick it up on Amazon, um, which would, would be a good idea. I've got links in the show notes as well is that it's endorsed by your kids. And so, cause what, what I love about that, you mentioned taking them to India, but what I love about it is that you aren't just, you don't just have this idea that you talk about generosity. Mm -hmm. Like your kids say in these, in the endorsements, like, no, this is actually who my dad is. This is actually what we, we do as a family. And I love that. So how did you pass that on to them? And, and how'd you do that? Cause I think, you know, I got, I got everything from college to, to elementary school. I want to teach my kids, you know, to, to be that, uh, that generous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just the grace of God. That's just one of the gifts that he has given to our family that we have always sort of traveled life together as a family. So family's been a high value and discipleship has been a high value and just being real um, and honest. And so they saw when we cried because we had more bills than we had money. And they saw when we rejoiced, when the food began to show up in miraculous proportion. 
and uh, we just stayed honest with them. We didn't obviously try to give them more than they could uh, accept emotionally uh, at any given time. Um, you know, we ended up uh, having to turn the van back over to the bank, and I didn't rub that experience of having to walk the keys into the bank manager's office in their face and traumatize them with the pain and the agony of that. Uh, but but at the same time, they they knew enough of the details to know that why we're not being able to drive that car anymore and things like that. But um, but then the value of just really uh, pivoting from, from uh, being concent concentrated on our own needs to being free to look at the needs of others. And just that's really where we try to model faith in front of them, that our faith is God's got us. He has promised to take care of our needs, but there's these people that don't yet know that in their life. They don't stand on that kind of promise. And those are who we are called to go help and to, and to love and to care for and, and just modeling it with them. And so when, when daddy would go out to deliver food, they would go with me and they would help. Mm. Uh, they weren't slaves and, or, you know, uh, it wasn't a sweatshop, <laughs> but, but um, they, would, they would definitely have a part of it. And it was a family project. And so now the values of that project really uh, take root in their heart. And they all have spirits of generosity on them. Um, and, um, and, you know, just uh, an appreciation to steward life and steward their resources well, but to live open-handedly and not hold on to it with a sense of insecurity. But um, to even let it go if, if yeah. that's what God calls them to. Yeah. Which, Hey, that's easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I hear you saying, Hey, just and live it, live in life please, with them. Yeah. Please don't hear that. Wow. This is a perfect um, mom and dad that did this perfect discipleship. Absolutely not. It was horribly messy and it's just the grace of God that he would work in spite of us uh, at times, in spite of me at times. Um, uh, cause they would never, you know, say, well, my dad's a perfect dad. They'd be very honest. We have a <laughs> lot of laughs together about ways that I blew it at times. Um, but I'm thankful that these values, um, were passed on to them and, uh, I'm humbled by their comments. And, and we actually started the book with that before I yeah. really got into the book. I put their comments up front because I do think it's, it's important for people to realize this is not just a, uh, a man named Kevin White that has written this book, but it is really a lifestyle. It's a culture. Uh, it's not just yep. a book. And I wanted them to see that in the very beginning. And if, and if, and if they could at least read the first three pages where my wife shares a little bit and then each of our adult children and even my, my son's wife shares uh, a little bit, then hopefully they would uh, be willing to absorb some of the, the, the hard things that I say in the book, as far as our need to set God free, you know, that can be a very foreign concept and yeah. the, the need to set ourselves free and to set others free. Um, but, you know, Hopefully they can remember the the sweet and soft um, part of of how it can really give your family a culture of generosity that that can 
be an incredible blessing uh, to the whole family when, yeah. we, when we do set God ourselves and others free. Absolutely. That's fantastic. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. And, thank you, uh, Eric. What a joy. Yeah, it's been really great just hearing more about your story. Friends, you can get, uh, first of all, you can connect with Kevin at his website, which is kevinwhite.us, right? Yes. And uh, so you can find him there, particularly, friends, uh, if you uh, are looking for guests, you can absolutely reach out to Kevin or you um, or want speakers. I'm sure you're available for things like that. Um, but also, uh, if you want to get his book, Get Audacious Generosity, the best place to get that is probably Amazon, but you can get it anywhere. Is that right? Is yes, that, can you get it anywhere? Yeah. Okay, you can get it anywhere. So you can pick it up. And uh, again, we have links at halfwaythereapodcast.com. So you don't have to remember anything. I know you're out driving or cooking or something. Just just go check out halfwaythereapodcast.com to connect with Kevin. Hey, Kevin, thanks so much for being here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Mm. Uh, open your hands. Uh, that's the final three words of the book. And I would just encourage um, each of us to just uh, open our hands to God. And if there's something that causes us to fight that, um, then let's figure it out because there is so much freedom and and um, grace of God when we can live open-handedly before him. Mm. Amen. Amen. It's all his anyway, isn't it? Yes, that's true. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Eric. God bless. 